0: We have a saying in Brazil that w- we say that Brazilian is not for amateurs. <laughs> we u- usually say that because of the bureaucracy and all the, the things that you, you have to go through as an entrepreneur. But uh, I, I think it's uh, at the same time uh, a kind of competitive barrier for those who are willing to do that.
1: Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, a podcast that brings you insights and tactics from the greatest SaaS minds across the world. The show is brought to you by SaaStock, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, returning to Dublin in October 15th to the 17th, 2018. I'm your host, Alex Suma, and on this episode of the show, I talk with Eric Santos, co-founder and CEO of Brazilian marketing automation company Resultados Digitais, which he started in 2011 when no one in Brazil knew or believed in online marketing. Eric and his co-founders pushed through to educate the entire market, and the company currently has over 10,000 customers and a channel program with over 1,500 agencies. I first met Eric at SassDoc17, where I learned more about his business and the Brazilian SaaS market. Recently, I had the pleasure to speak at RD Summit in Florianopolis, Brazil, a conference run by Eric's company that gathered 8,000 digital marketers from across Latin America, certainly the biggest event of its kind in Latam. Sujan Patel rightfully described it as having the Disneyland effect. Stick around to hear what steps Eric took to excite the audience that didn't believe in marketing automation, and how that created a
0: movement—something that we call internally "mechanical Turk" experiment. We would try to sell the product, but without even having one line of code yet written. What is the bar to make a user conference successful? So we we don't have that kind of uh, conference where you know, the, especially the big shots, they come in, they do, they get their gigs, and then they you know just get out and uh, fly back how he built the channel of partners. The value proposition that we sell to those partners is that they can sell high-quality recurring revenue services on top of our software. Now on with the show.
1: Welcome to the show, uh, uh, Eric Santos, uh, CEO of uh, Resultados uh, Digitize.
0: Thanks, Alex. Pleasure to be here.
1: Well, it's uh, uh, good to uh, good to see you again. We I uh, I I saw you a couple of weeks ago in uh, in Brazil in sunny Florianopolis I, I guess that's where you are uh, today.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's pretty sunny today here. <laughs> okay, very good. It's uh, it's it's pretty rainy
1: and uh, and very cold in uh, in in the UK right now. Um but uh, but Eric, yeah, you know we're super excited to uh, uh, to to have you on the show. Um now um, as I mentioned you're the you're the CEO of uh, Resultados Digitise. Uh, um uh perhaps I'll, i if it's okay with you i'll, I'll call you rd uh, uh for short uh, um sure. to, to, to tell uh the the audience a, a little bit about uh, uh
0: about yourself you know who is eric santos all right so i'm uh i've been a tech entrepreneur for the last 15 years so uh my first company was in the mobile space so i was uh i'm engineering by formation and uh uh, after our, I left college, I started my first company, um, sold it a few uh, six years later. So started RD in 2011. So we actually um, launched the product the, the following year, 2012. And uh, we basically, we have a marketing automation platform for SMBs. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was initially focused on Brazil only, uh, but now we're expanding to other markets too. So our platform is called RD Station. Mm-hmm. It's basically a marketing uh, automation platform with, uh, you know, landing pages, email marketing, uh, SEO, lead nurturing, analytics, all that kind of stuff that you usually find in a marketing automation platform. Um, yeah, and I've been the uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of the company. So right now we are at about six hundred uh, employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just crossed the 10,000 customers mark so correct pretty happy about yeah pretty happy about the uh, the those years that have passed and the uh, the following years too also well, what 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 drove you to you know
1: create this uh, uh create rd uh, you know back in 2011 you know where, um, what what got you excited about you know uh, digital uh, you know uh, or, or marketing
0: yeah I think that goes back to my previous company because I was trying to uh, reach my potential customers there or clients. So we we used to sell um, mobile projects to brands in Brazil through their agencies. And uh, at that time, that was like uh, 2006, 2007. So uh, that was even before the iPhone came out. So nobody actually knew how to, you know, use mobile in their, uh, you know, marketing strategies. So we wanted to not only evangelize the market, kind of educate the market, but also uh, make sure that we were seen as an authority in this uh, in, in this domain. So that was, you know, out of, uh, I would say that naivete, we started creating content around the topic. And then that's how I kind of uh, bumped into this concept of online marketing, inbound marketing. And then that was about the time where most of the, uh, the leading companies in the U.S. And in our space uh, got started to 2007, 2008. So I started learning from them too. And I, I was actually feeling the pain because I had to use a bunch of different tools to kind of do online marketing uh, well and uh, had to allocate precious development resource to to do that. So uh, developer position or having an integrated platform really resonated with me at first. And then when I saw that there was an opportunity here in Brazil that nobody was doing anything. And, uh, and, and there were some very different situations in terms of customer maturity, you no know, level of service expected. So I, I thought it was a good idea. So they started to decided to start the, uh, in 2011.
1: It, sound, it sounds like it was a good idea now that you have uh, 10,000 customers. So, uh, you, I think you, you proved that there was the, uh, the need for it. But I guess back in 2011, uh, when you you're bringing the, the concepts of, you know, marketing automation and, you know, content marketing, uh, um, you, you know, to, to Brazil... Uh, I guess it was a very different picture, sort of, you know, back then. Making those kind of first sales, like, you know, did did the SMBs, you know, believe in what you were what you were trying to sell them, and believe in marketing automation? Uh, you know, how was it? You know, how have you managed
0: to reach ten thousand? Uh, you know, over the years. Yeah, you are absolutely right. And uh, I think we had to eat our own dog food for for a long time. Well, we still do, uh, basically. So we had to basically educate the market first. Uh, and uh, five, six years ago in Brazil, uh, we had a situation where uh, most of the companies and most of the people running those companies, they didn't even know that um, – uh, online marketing was a was a thing was a, It was something that they could do to grow their business. Mm-hmm. so we kind of had to sell the concept first and then we would sell the opportunity of having a, a solution to uh, help them do that. So most of our educational initiatives in the beginning were weren't around our company or the product. were basically around the the subject about the uh, the opportunities and the the benefits that they could have if they did well online marketing. So that's a main tenet of our content marketing initiatives still to this day. Mm -hmm. But of course, over time the market matured a little bit, and then we were able to uh, you know get into a more sophisticated discussions and also uh, introduce the product uh, in many different ways along the way.
1: And, and sort of like it, the first year, let, let's have a look at the first year, you know, how long was it until you got, you know, I guess initial traction to the point, And then until uh, you found product market fit, what was the kind of timescales there?
0: Sure. Um, so we did three things in the beginning in parallel. Um, the first one was, you know, Education. So Mm -hmm. we started um, creating content and uh, doing speaking gigs and that kind of stuff. Um, So that was really important because when we launched the product uh, about a year later, uh, we already had 10,000 leads in our database. So that was the kind of the initial uh, set of uh, potential customers that we had uh, Mm -hmm. and they were already consuming our content. So the second thing we did was uh, customer discovery and customer development. And that was important because I, f- I felt really strong um, about the, you know, the demand in general, but I didn't know exactly what kind of product and what kind of level of service those customers would need here in Brazil. So we actually did uh, for the first, you know, 18 months, we did uh, something that we call internally mechanical Turk experiment. So we, mm-hmm. would, we would try to sell the product, but without even having one line of code yet written. Uh, and we uh, we did it ourselves. So let's say that uh, a client would want uh, to use a landing page creator someday. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would just create the, the landing page for them. They would send us the text and the images. We would just create the landing page ourselves, and then you know publish to them. Uh, so that was the customer discovery phase. So we kind of fine tuned the roadmap a little bit, uh, and we uh, felt exactly. Uh, what kind of you know features and also the messaging that would uh, resonate better with uh, potential customers and the third thing was the the product development itself so uh, since we have a such a broad platform, uh, it takes some time to get uh, something like meaningful uh, on the street, so that 's why we we only launched the product. Um, a few uh, eighteen months after uh, starting the company, so the, the official launch was in August of two thousand and twelve, so about eighteen months after we started And and when
1: when did you uh, decide to raise uh, venture capital and, and what was the reason sort of behind that uh, uh, and, and I guess the third part to that, uh, I understood it, it it took some time uh, yeah. you know, as well. Can you just give us a little bit of insights uh,
0: around uh, uh, that fundraise? Sure. Sure. Um, uh, I think, well, we were lucky that we could bootstrap the company for the first couple of years. Uh, I, I had some money for my previous venture. Um, but, uh, I think the, the main idea was not only, uh, not only that, but actually making sure that we had product market fit because the last thing that I wanted at that time was to kind of raise money and then have nothing, uh, to scale on. So, um, for the first couple of years, we bootstrapped the business, and then uh, I raised an angel round uh, by the end of 2012. And then the idea uh, at that time was to find a repeatable model. So we were doing uh, we were doing marketing, generating leads. So I wanted to make sure that we could close deals out of those leads, and then we could also serve those customers mostly online. So that was the... Kind of the, the 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 predictable machine that we were building at that time, mm-hmm. and when we felt that we had something going on there, we uh, we felt ready for for our, our first uh, kind of institutional round. So I uh, started front fundraising basically um, in the middle of 2013. So about six months in after the the angel round. And uh, we eventually raised uh, Series A from one local VC here called DGF. Uh, they're uh, a firm specialized in SaaS companies here in Brazil.
1: Okay, very cool. And you, you mentioned to, um, uh, this building the, the predictable machine um, yeah. you know, as, as a core component. But I think well, something that you've also been doing is, is building and creating a, a movement uh, you know, across Latin America um, and, and what do you think um you know are, are the core components of building a movement? Why have you decided to you, you know you know be
0: the catalyst of, of, of building this movement sure well i think uh, part part of the decision was based on the uh, benchmarking uh, from what we were seeing from the leading companies in the u s in different categories so um you know, obviously back to Salesforce or even in our space or many other space, like the leading companies, uh, they, they rally a, a movement, uh, around the topic, uh, or the industry that they're inserted. Um, so that was the initial idea. But, uh, what we figured out along the way was that there was a lot of people, um, that, uh, were, already working on the topic or, or, you know, especially in our, we have a, uh, I can get to that later, but we have a partner program with marketing agencies. So there mm-hmm. are a lot of marketing agencies already working in digital marketing, but they, they didn't have the forum to, you know, discuss, debate, learn. Uh, so pretty quickly we figured out that we could uh, not only, being perceived as an authority by kind of writing great content, doing webinars, that kind of stuff, but also throwing events, throwing conference that we could um, gather the community and gather specialists and people who know what they're doing. They're, you know they either uh, have a lot of experience um, in the subject or are, are in, you know doing and learning along the way uh, inside their own companies. So that's why in 2013 we decided to uh, start our first event, which was uh the first version of RD Summit that you participated in. Back then we only had 250 people at the conference. Mm-hmm. It was pretty rough in terms of production <laughs> and everything else. But uh it was a good seed that we planted uh early on. And then uh that uh that has been a key component of our um I think our our, our kind of uh, authority and community building for, for the last few years. And, and so you mentioned uh, RD Summit
1: and, and this event, you know, being as like a, a cornerstone of uh, um, this movement that, that you've been building. And so 250 people in 2013, uh, how, many, uh, how many were there this year?
0: Eight thousand people.
1: Eight thousand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty, pretty sizable. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I, I think I mentioned to you, like, uh, you know, when I um, uh, I, I came to Florinopolis and uh, participated at RD Summit, I, I was, uh, I don't know, just like uh, uh, very surprised at the, the the scale and just the, the level of production. It was, uh, you, you know, a, a, a pretty amazing uh, event. I think Sujan Patel. uh uh, sort of mentioned you know it has the uh, the disneyland effect and uh um, i it 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 definitely um you know has that that has that wow effect um so uh, you know congrats on on that uh i guess um you you know at at a conference of that scale and i guess the level of production that that you've put into it um you know we're, we're probably talking you know sort of like uh huge uh huge budgets there you know perhaps um you know close to the uh, the, the, the revenue uh, annual revenue of the company uh you know or or, or similar right but the, these are um i think generally uh you know not-for-profit uh, uh events it's more you know it's acting as this kind of marketing education funnel um for digital marketing um not only just uh, for, for rd summit right uh, you're educating the whole uh, sort of industry in uh, in Latin America.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, thanks for the comment. And, uh, and I think something that I usually talk to other companies here in the SaaS space too, uh, it's something that, of course, it, it, it is a big budget and it is a distraction too. So, mm-hmm. you know, we get a lot, we get involved with many things um, about the events. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, uh, it pays off really well not only in terms of brand uh, building uh, recognition, uh, you know, uh, but also uh, I I would say that if it were only for the fact that it calls on the employees here, I would do it, you know, in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. No no questions about that. So finance, financial wise, I think that uh, the event basically breaks even, we Mm -hmm. lose a little bit of money, but uh, it's not that meaningful. Uh, So it's kind of, uh, if I don't consider the energy that we put in the event, uh, it's like uh, free marketing for us, basically. Yeah. Um, and um, and I, as I mentioned, uh, I think it is really important for employees too. So we, uh, besides RD Summit, which is our, our, our biggest conference uh, in Florianópolis, usually in, uh, held in October or November, we also have another project that we call RD on the Road, which we go to different capitals in Brazil. And now next year, we're going also to uh, Mexico City in Bogotá and Latin America, probably in Portugal, too. We're we're trying to figure out, yeah. Um, The idea is to, you know, very similar spirit, but smaller uh, events where we can uh, be uh, more, uh, be closer to our customers and partners in many uh, regions uh, in Brazil and Latin America many saas
1: companies uh, i've seen you, you know they they try and do their their own sort of user conferences or you know at some point where um you know when they have enough customers uh, i i think uh, um you've obviously you know rd have been super successful in scaling it to 8000 in you know in a very short time um you, you know can you distill down to like what what are the maybe the core elements of uh, you know, creating a successful uh, user conference, uh, you know, are, are there are a couple of things that, uh, you know, I guess our, our listeners, you know, uh, perhaps who are thinking about creating a user conference should
0: be, uh, should be mindful of? Sure. Um, I think the, the main component is not to make the conference about the company or mm-hmm. the product. Mm-hmm. So it's all about the content and the community, Uh, and it's a trap that I've seen, uh, some, some other companies fall into. Um, so we, of course we, uh, since we have the space and usually it's my keynote speech, uh, I do talk a little bit about, you know, our launches and strategy, but that's even like 20 minute thing, uh, Mm -hmm. even in my presentation. So we try not to, uh, uh, not to have anyone that's gonna sell their products on stage, so uh, we call this word here in Brazil in Brazil "jabá," which is when you go to you know to a conference and they speak about um, your company rather than the, the, the you know any particular useful content. Mm-hmm. So, and the, the bar that we have for our speakers here is that and, and I think that we achieve su- success when we reach that is that when we you, uh, when you have a speaker finishing their presentation and then just sitting to watch the next speaker um, so we we don't have that kind of uh, conference where you know the especially the big shots they come in they do they get their gigs and then they you know just get out and, and fly back to their uh, to their places so most of the people here, even the, the, the you know the, the international guys like you or 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 and Jaco or and Henley, they stuck around for three days mm-hmm. here. So that's the kind of uh, bar that we have for in terms of content. And the other thing, I think it's uh, it comes down to experience too. So Sujan mentioned the Disneyland effect. That's something that we uh, we we're pretty fortunate but at the same time it's it's something that we did by design which is we don't hire anyone else to work at the conference only our employees work mm-hmm. at the conference mm-hmm. except for of course like some maintenance and uh you know cleaning uh, activities doesn't make sense but even the the people who are handing out translation headsets there are the employees so we try to bring the the experience, you know, a, a, a Disneyland experience to the to the attendees as well, so that they feel um, they feel happy uh, when they're there, even if something goes wrong, which always do. You, you run conference, you know how it is. Uh, but the idea that they have, they learned a lot, they mm-hmm. connect, and they had a good experience there. Um, it's kind of a the the. the the basis for having them coming back next year and uh, spreading the word too. So that's why I think that we grew from uh, 250 to 8,000 attendees in four years. And uh, I think that that's a piece of advice that I'll give to other um, SaaS entrepreneurs.
1: You you mentioned earlier um, just around sort of you know partner agencies and you know this being a, a, a strategy for you and you know for your growth. Uh, yeah. like, how many partners do you do, do you work with? How do you go about recruiting them? Um, is there anything you know other SaaS you know founders can can learn from from your experience? there?
0: Sure, yeah, I, I think that. Uh, and it's kind of contrarian because usually when you read about a topic, uh, people say that you shouldn't worry about establishing a, a channel program or a partner program uh, before you have like 10 million in AR. Um, I, I don't agree with that, and I think it, it, it's our case. So just to give you a background, today we have uh, 1,500 partners, which are basically marketing agencies. Um and they bring us about 50% of our sales each month. Um, so that uh, program, uh, the, the importance is growing over time. So th- that program started really small in 2013, and then it's uh, it's growing ever since. And the, uh, uh, the way that we capture those partners now, the way that we attract them, is basically through our inbound marketing activities too. So at first, we they were drawn by the content that we created uh, around online marketing but now we also have another blog and another um and another set of materials that we created specifically for them so how to be a better marketing agency how to you know set the prices for a service how to onboard new customers that kind of uh, that kind of thing that we discuss in this uh second blog so that's our main channel for uh, acquiring and educating our partners. And then after their, their, um, they join the program, we work with them to make sure that they can sell our, our solution and their services to their customers and also uh, proper onboard and serve them after, after that. And I think the, the main thing that we learned along the way even though we we give them a commission uh, on the the subscription, it's not something that's meaningful or uh, will move the needle for them. It uh, the uh, the the value proposition that we sell to those partners is that they can sell high quality recurring revenue services on top of our software. So the commissions uh it's usually less than ten percent of the services revenue that they can get out of the uh out of the partnership mm-hmm. so it's not meaningful as I mentioned and uh it's something that we we hear a lot from them uh but if you if you can find a partner that with your specific solution can you know up their game and sell different kind of services uh especially you know regarding the marketing agencies they're used to having you know just one off projects, not very much predictability that kind of thing, so we kind of solved the problem for them so now they can sell different types of services and uh, and can, they can prove ROI to their clients uh, with verse software so that's a much more propelling uh, argument for them to join the program and okay. do the investment that they they need to do on their end.
1: Very cool. Uh, I mean, congrats, fifteen hundred partners. You know, fifty percent of the sales. It's um, a, a, a pretty uh, a good achievement there. And, and now we're coming to the, the end of the show, so I've just got a couple, a couple of questions um, for you. Now, as far as as I know, uh, um, you know, RD are the biggest marketing automation. Uh, uh, you know, SaaS company in Latin America, um, and you predominantly focus in Latin America, um, sort of right now. I mean, it's a huge market, right? So um, uh, that that that's pretty cool. Have you got plans to to you know go beyond and to to, to really you know bring this uh, across the globe, or are you, are you comfortable with the uh, the hundreds of millions of people that are in
0: uh, uh, LATAM? Um, we, we do, we do have plans. So, um, but that's not to say that we, we're running out of room to grow here in Brazil. Just give an idea. We have 10,000 customers now, and uh, we think the addressable market here in Brazil is probably around a million companies. So, um, but the thing is that we, when we, we were totally focused in Brazil for the first few years. And uh, even with the product and the content only in Portuguese, we started seeing some demand from uh, other markets too. So uh, initially, you know, from from companies in Portugal, which is, uh, of course, uh, you can can get that easier. Um, But also from uh, companies in Latin America, as I mentioned, and some weird places like Egypt. When we had, uh, you know, I remember this guy that used to, uh, use the software uh, with uh, Google, Google Chrome Translate extension there. So like translating the oh. software real-time there. So we thought that there, there might be something there. And then we started working, uh, you know, discovering the opportunity last year. And uh, this year we decided to invest a lot more uh, on an international part of the business. So we translated everything into uh, Spanish uh, we also started a blog in Spanish that's uh, that's getting some traction now. Uh, we also, uh, right now, we're starting uh, to translate everything into English too. And the idea is to, we f- well, at least we feel that in most markets, the SMBs are underserved. And um, most companies, especially the leading companies in the space, they're not paying attention to that. And I totally get that because, you know, it's really hard to sell to SMBs in those markets. You have to have a simpler solution. We have to have a different uh, go-to-market strategy. You have to have uh, a, a partner program that can help you do the last mile uh, in terms of service uh, because they expect that. Um, so that's something that I I think we cracked the code here in Brazil and most of the, the the elements of this model are replicable in other uh markets too. So we as I mentioned we started with Latin America and uh, Portugal first. Uh right we this year we're well 2018 we're uh planning to expand to other markets too, other emerging markets preferably. And the um, uh, we it, it's still a small compared to the operation in Brazil, but we're growing faster in Latin America than what we did in, in Brazil in the beginning. So we're pretty bullish about the, the strategy. Um, and uh, besides that, I think the challenge for me is to keep scaling the company, uh, keep improving efficiency and working on bottlenecks, bringing leaders to different parts of the company, scaling the team internally, But it's a lot of challenges that come with uh, you know this phase of the company, basically in terms of scaling the operation internally. Mm -hmm. Uh, And
1: and and so you've just talked about your internationalization plans and um, you know taking R D beyond Latin America and and into Europe. But I I guess a final sort of thought on the, the 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 state of SaaS in. Uh, in Brazil. And uh, and so, obviously, when, you know, when we were at uh, RD Summit a few weeks ago, we had, uh, or you had, um, uh, you know, uh, Mikel from Zendesk, you know, as one of the speakers and Zendesk, you know, looking at, you know, Brazil, they're already active in Brazil as it's an important market for them. Uh, and I know, I think, like, Pipe Drive actually, I was speaking with them this week at Web Summit, and, you know, for them, Brazil is uh, is, is an important market. Beyond that, I, I don't know how many, let's say, these international, um, uh, you know, uh, scaling SaaS companies are active in Brazil. But can you give us some insights, uh, uh, you, you know, in, into that uh, and, and the state of uh, SaaS
0: in Brazil? Sure. Uh, well, I, I absolutely agree that uh, the market's, big here and uh, it's got a big opportunity for for companies everywhere in the in the world uh, but at the same time it's pretty hard to do business here in brazil um to open up you know an office or you know even do the basic stuff here so most of the companies that i see and i, I think that zendesk is an exception um they try to kind of um you know, try uh, without uh, the proper resource, and then uh, they just give up after after a while. So we have a saying in Brazil that w- we say that Brazilian is not for amateurs. <laughs> we u- usually say that because of the bureaucracy and all the, the things that you, you have to go through as an entrepreneur. Um but uh i i think it's uh, at the same time uh, a kind of competitive barrier for those who are willing to do that and i think zendesk and pipe i are, are two good cases of companies that have prioritized the market have dedicated resource for for the region uh in, in the case of zendesk they have an office here they have you know full-time employees here in brazil uh, and i think some other companies have that too um, the SaaS space, not so much, but, you know, all the other leading companies like Google, Facebook, uh, they all have big offices here in Brazil too. And I think it is an opportunity. And uh, regarding the Brazilian SaaS companies, I think we're seeing a good wave of great companies. They're starting to get to the, you know, the 10 million, 20 million mark in AR and uh, it's starting to go abroad too. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see, my guess is that we're going to see more and more Brazilian companies, um, you know, get into the radar of the, you know the the the, the SaaS uh, VCs and uh, the the ecosystem in general in other markets, too, either in the U.S. or you know Europe, uh, as you guys are based. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty confident that we'll see a lot more buzz about about the Brazilian SaaS companies in the next few years because we see a lot of companies and the problem is and just final thing on this. Uh, I think it's a, it's both a blessing and a curse that we have such a big market that usually at first the the companies, they, they focus on Brazil only. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, and that, um, that comes with the price later on when they, when they want to go abroad. So we definitely, you know, it's our case for sure. We're trying, we, we're having to, you know, rebuild some things, you know, rethink some, some things in terms of structure, you know, even, you know, the employee base to make sure that we can grow, go abroad. It's different from a company like Pipe Drive, for instance, that, you know, starts in Estonia and then, you know, they have to go yeah. uh, abroad from the get-go. Yeah. So I think that uh, that's something that the Brazilian companies are starting to learn uh, to think more globally from, from day zero. Awesome. Well, Eric,
1: you've been a, a, a great guest uh, on the show today. A pleasure to speak with you uh, as always, and uh, look forward to you, you know uh, continuing to follow the, the journey of uh, of RD over the next uh, uh, couple of years, and uh, and see you at uh, at SASTOCK uh, twenty eighteen uh, as well. Um, uh, so yeah thanks again um, for for, for being on the show and um, uh, you know uh, wish you all the best and uh, we will uh, speak soon
0: thanks Alex was my pleasure thank you
1: hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SAS Revolution show with Eric Santos and his powerful story of starting from scratch when no one understood what he was doing thanks for listening and for your continued support. If you enjoyed this episode and you enjoyed the SaaS Revolution show, please take a couple of minutes and rate us and write a short review of the show on iTunes. It makes a huge difference and means the world to me. See you next time.